You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Hey, we are, we are going to talk about spiritual gifts tonight. As we bring this series on the other guy to a close, we've been six weeks uh, looking at the other guy, the guy behind the guy of Christianity. And the reason is that often we look at the work of Jesus, we read the words of Jesus, and we forget about the other guy, that there was an engine room behind the life and the work and the miracles of Jesus Christ, and it was called the Holy Spirit. And so tonight we look at spiritual gifts, and I know for some people when you say that, you get one of two reactions. Some people go, oh, finally we get to talk about some cool stuff in church. Oh, wow. Um, other people flinch. Uh, because I recognize that we, we uh, it's what I love about this community. We have a diverse range of people here from uh, ex-Pentecostals through to ex-Catholics to recovering Anglicans like myself. Uh, we, have a, we have a whole mix of different people. And so I recognize that there are lots of different approaches to this topic and it can be quite controversial. And in fact, it was controversial back in Paul's time. And so my approach tonight it was when I was thinking through how we talked through it this week was that like, ironically, I've actually preached on this two to three times in the last couple of years. And so, I don't know, can we cross-promote Mikey? Is that how it works? But uh, I really encourage you to go back to those sermons and to, uh, to have a listen through. We did a series called Finding Clarity. And then if you're with us, you'll recognize that in Modern Family, all of a couple of months ago, we looked at Ephesians 4, which is one of the great passages on spiritual gifts. So my heart tonight was not to rehash a lot of stuff that hopefully... We, it should be foundational for us now. Uh, rather, I just want to go into the bigger picture of what spiritual gifts mean in the context of the other guy, uh, but really to, to draw out, I think, for our community tonight, our church tonight, uh, one affirmation and one clarification around spiritual gifts. So that's where we're going, one affirmation, one clar- clarification. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 12, classic signature spiritual gifts passage. Uh, here we say in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says... This is Paul speaking to his church. And now about spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to to mute idols. And so therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all people. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between the Spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same spirit, the other guy. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. I love verse 1 in this passage here. Let's see what Paul says. He says, says, "Now, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be ignorant. Uh, what, he, what he was saying here is, is about, it, it, can you imagine Paul being your senior pastor, getting up here to preach this passage? Now, in regard to spiritual gifts, don't be dopeheads, is what he's saying, right? Don't be stupid. Don't be idiots when it comes to spiritual gifts. 
And I, I, we've got to give him some credit. He could be a tough guy. What I like about Paul is he, he's always talking about the big picture before he gets to the nitty-gritty. If you know Paul's patterns, whether it be through Corinthians or his writings in Colossians or Romans, Paul always talks a big picture before he gets into the nitty-gritty. And it's sort of like uh, back, in the, back in the old days, we had things called uh, roadmaps uh, in your car, <laughs> street directories, the old Gregories, remember them? <laughs> You'll see them in a museum in a few years' time. Uh, but, but there was always two ways to find a particular street in a Gregory's. And that was uh, you could go straight to the listing in the back, the concordance of the Gregory's, and you could go straight to the street name, Samuel Street, look it up, and it would say it was, would be on map E1. Or you could go to the front of the Gregory's, and I don't know if you remember, but they used to have a giant grid in the front with a picture of Sydney, and it would have all the grid of A, B, C, D, 1, 2, 3 to 10, and you could see the whole picture of Sydney, and you could just sort of guess where Samuel Street is and work your way from there. Look, I've got to ask tonight, who, who is a grid-type person in terms of the Gregory's? Yeah, we've got a few here. Yeah. Uh, see, Paul, if Paul had a Gregory's in the Corinthian church, nice picture of Corinth, he would be that sort of guy, if you get what I'm saying. He starts big picture, and then he gets in tighter and tighter. And so the grid that, that, that I want to get at tonight, uh, the grid over this whole series in some way has been that, look, this, this passage was written 50 or so years after Jesus had died and been, and been resurrected. And so he's writing to a church 50 years after that. And, and we need to hark back to week one of this series and this wonderful picture in an upper room just before he's about to be killed. And Jesus says some crazy and amazing statements to his boys, his disciples. He says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. They will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now, the context of this verse is, is really staggering in its context because what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, I'm about to go to heaven. I'm about to go and sit at the right hand of the Father. I'm about to go and become the king of the universe. I'm about to go and start taking up my position. <laughs> I'm, I'm going there and, and I'm going to start enacting the things that I want to enact. I'm going to start working against the things that I hate, the oppression and the injustice and the inequality and the evil in the world. And I'm going to start working on it from there, boys. And he says, because I'm going up to heaven, you're going to be able to do greater things than I can do on earth right here now. And so when Jesus says, I'm going to do greater things, we, we can really take uh, that statement out of context. When he says, you're going to do, you're going to do greater things than me. Uh, because it's not really necessarily more power, but it's more scope. What do you mean more scope? Uh, Jesus had to be one of the best. In fact, he was the best minister of all the ministers on earth. He did incredible things. But in that John 14, in that upper room, and in that time of Jesus, he was restricted by geography. So in other words, Jesus could go to Cana and change water into wine, but he couldn't go to Crow's Nest at the time. That he, he, was, he was in Jerusalem, uh, and, and that's where his ministry started, but there was an entire world to be reached. And so the crazy thing about what he's saying with greater things is that not that we're going to necessarily uh, do more healings than Jesus or do more crazy stuff than Jesus. It was there was going to be greater scope. That Jesus at some point wouldn't just be stuck in Cana or Jerusalem, but he would be going into Crow's Nest and he'd be going into Artaman and he'd be going into the CBD and he'd be going into the Northern Beaches and he'd be going into Westmead. And he says, the way I will do it will be through you.
And we're thinking, how does that work? And he sends, he says, I'm going I'm to send you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send the other guy to do this. And can, so you, can you see the big picture behind all of this series has been that if we talked week one about the Holy Spirit as a person is that Jesus says, I'm a king. I'm going to deal with oppression and injustice and I'm even going to deal with death. But I'm going to do it through you guys. And so what we need to see, the Gregory's grid, the big picture is that the job of the Holy Spirit is to universalize the ministry of Jesus Christ. No longer is you restricted by geography. He's going to do it through his people. And so can you see why Paul's starting with, I don't want, to, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be dope heads about this. Uh, you know, I've, I've actually asked you exactly the same thing a little bit more subtly than Paul tonight. And here's, here's what I'm asking you. In, in, light of, in light of all this, in light of the king ascended on high working in and through us, the question is, why, why do you want the gifts of the Spirit? Some of the common stuff, I don't know, is it for attention? Yeah, because the problem is, as we learned this series, that the Holy Spirit's a green cordial sort of guy. He's, he's, he's not a party guy. He goes to a party, he's drinking green cordial in a corner somewhere. He's, he's a backseat sort of guy. He doesn't like to be in the, in the spotlight because the reason is he is the spotlight. As J.I. Packer says, the job of the Holy Spirit is to be a spotlight ministry on Jesus. Like the vivid festival of light. You know, the opera house looks more beautiful and wonderful. When you, when you went to vivid, you don't say, oh, wow, wasn't that projector? Didn't that projector look fantastic tonight? <laughs> In fact, who even noticed the projectors at the Vivid Light Festival? No, no one. Everyone remembered the incredible view of the, op- the opera house looked more beautiful. And so if the Holy Spirit's at work, he's not getting in any attention. Jesus Christ is getting the attention. And so if, if you and I use any of our gifts, it should be to bring Jesus' attention, not ourselves' attention. Uh, we should be spotlights to Jesus, not to our own egos. <laughs> Could the other reason though be maybe it's it's affirmation? You know, I see people time and time again in ministry that, that they think if I just if, if I just have a special lightning bolt moment of the Holy Spirit, then maybe I'll feel really spiritual. And maybe I've had a good week. Maybe it's a sign that God's just touching me that I've been really been really good in my walk this week. And and the thing for me is I don't know about you, but I'm not sure that God is necessarily in the business of just giving people fluffy experiences. Like if you, there's enough examples in the Bible of when you see people have experiences with God. What do the angels have to say half the time? Fear not. <laughs> you know, you look. Graham talked about the, the, the this morning. You look at you look at Moses. He he had an experience with the burning bush, and, and God says, "Go be my representative in front of Pharaoh." <laughs> you know, Samuel, the the young boy, goes up, has an experience of God. Is that you, Lord? Yes. <laughs> now go be my prophet in front of all the people. Saul has an experience on the road to Damascus. He's blinded by it. It's so intense. Jesus, is that you? Yes. Okay, go. You're going to be my chosen instrument to the Gentiles. I don't think God is in the business of giving us just fluffy experiences for the sake of it, to to affirm us. (laughs) I I think God, here's what what hit me this week. God, God doesn't want to give you an experience, just an experience of himself. He wants to make you the experience of himself. God doesn't want to give you an experience of himself. He wants to make you the experience of himself. You know, we talked about it last week. That's what it meant to have the communicable attributes of God. That's what it meant to be infectious. 
the love and the joy and the peace and the patience. God wants people to catch him through you. So verse 7, now look, look at this. Verse 7. It says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for, wait for it, the common good. It's pretty, it's pretty plain. That uh, the spiritual gifts we've learned in past series, you know, a spiritual gift is an, an ability or a working given by God through his Holy Spirit uh, for the needs, the service of others in order to work out the common good. So it's a working, it's an ability that God gives you to build up everything else. And so, in other words, do you, do you want the, spirit, uh, the gifts of the Spirit for your purposes or do you want it for God's purposes? Are you, are you getting in light of the big picture of all that we've been talking about? In other words, do you, do you believe that you exist not just for your own pleasure, but to help people know the love of Jesus and to be more like him? Now, that's, that's, that's the roadmap. That's the grid. That's the big picture. It's helping us now. And, and so we, we come to what I said at the beginning. I want to give us an, an affirmation and a clarification around spiritual gifts. Now, the affirmation, first and foremost, is that every believer is a part of the ministry of Jesus. Every believer is a part of the ministry of Jesus. Look at what verse uh, 1 to 3 says. It says, uh, now about spiritual gifts, don't be dope heads. Uh, you know that when you were pagan somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And here's a clincher. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a confusing sounding passage, right? But here's what it's saying. You know, Paul's, Paul's not saying that you can't physically mouth out the words, Jesus is Lord, without the Holy Spirit. The point is that the, the very desire to say Jesus is Lord cannot happen by itself without the Holy Spirit. The, in other words, you, you don't want to call Jesus your Lord and Savior if the, if the Holy Spirit is not already at work in you. And so that is we all have the Holy Spirit. Anyone who is a believer has the Holy Spirit. Now, that's both humbling and it's both incredibly empowering. First of all, it's, it's empowering. And here's how it's empowering. Is that if Paul says everyone's got the Spirit, you know, you have to be very careful who you talk to and say, oh, you don't have the Spirit. Now, I don't know, some of you might have been from churches like that where, oh, you, I'm not sure you've got the Spirit. You, you need a little extra touch of the Spirit. No, rubbish. Everyone, everyone has the Holy Spirit if they've called Jesus Christ their Lord as a believer. And so the other interesting one is that if everyone has the Spirit and if he's working like that, you know, even if you are saying that I don't feel like, I have the Holy Spirit. That's actually the work of the Holy Spirit. That, that to actually want God is the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, in essence, the, the feeling of his absence is often a wonderful sign of his presence. If you feel you're distant from God, if you're yearning for God tonight, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the other guy. No one, no one can say Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. That's what it, so it's empowering, but at the same time, it's also incredibly humbling. Because, look, is it me or do churches just tend to focus on the flashy gifts? I, I want to be a preacher. I want to be a teacher. I want to be a worship leader. I want to be on the platform. I want to be out front. 
And, and we revere the people out the front. It, it happens sort of almost unconsciously. What's so important is if the Paul says this is the same, how many times did he say in this passage, read it for homework, that he say the same spirit, different gifts, same spirit, different gifts, same spirit, different gifts. All of it comes from the same spirit. And so in another way, verse 16, he paints this analogy of the gifts like they're all different parts of the one body. You know, that, uh, you know I, I, call it, I call the church a spiritual Voltron, right? Voltron was a Japanese Anime cartoon back in the late 70s, early 80s. And Volt, the, the mission of Voltron was that uh, the space explorers would uh, all man these robotic lions that all had these different abilities and they would all come together to make up the arms and the legs and the head of Voltron in order to defend the galaxy against evil. Come on, is that not the church? <laughs> Amen. And so Paul didn't have Voltron back then, so he uses just the boring analogy of the body. But what it meant was that spiritual gifts mean that each of us has a ministry ability that's part of the ministry ability of Jesus. You know, let me put it another way. When you think of your body, you know, you realize that you're in all of it. You know, if I look at my finger and I cut my finger off, I don't just say to myself, oh, it doesn't matter. That was just a finger. That wasn't part of me. Of course it was part of me. And the flip side, I go, well, am I in my foot? Am I in my knee? Am I in my brain? Am I in my head? No, no. All, all of me is in every part of me, regardless of the function that whether a hands or a brain or a leg works. And so the incredible thing that Paul's saying here is that in all of the incredible, wonderful facets of the church, uh, Jesus in, is in all of that. that. Jesus just doesn't exist in the pulpit or the flashy gifts or the stuff out the front. Jesus is in Big Rob right now who's listening over the loudspeaker on the phones because he's on concierge tonight and he can't sit in the auditorium with us. What a, what a wonderful representation of how all of this comes together. That, 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 that role out there in the concierge desk is no more significant than what I'm doing here. God just gave me a gift. And, and that's what I use to be part of this spiritual Voltron. <laughs> To, to think and to educate and to teach. But it's, it's, and so as a, as a result, that's incredibly humbling. And here's why. Because no one person is bigger than the community of Jesus Christ. And it's humbling. It's humbling for all the superstars. Because you know, your uniqueness, your giftedness that God has given you is wonderful. And as beautiful as it is, is part of a much bigger picture Part of a mosaic, if you would like. Do you know what a mosaic is? And where they take all these wonderful, beautiful tiles and all of them have got different shapes and different colours and somehow they come together when you stand back from a mosaic and they paint a picture. And every single one of us has a different shape and a different colour to us and a different reflection of the love and the nature of God. And when people stand back from that and see that, they, they should see Jesus if we're doing our job right as a church. We're, we're a mosaic. We're, we are a wonderful picture of uh, the ministry of Jesus Christ and who he is. And so it means tonight, if you, if you feel insignificant in your own right, you are beautiful and you are wonderful and you are unique and you are special in, in the big picture that is Jesus and his church. And on the other hand, if you feel like a hero or you're at risk of feeling like a hero, then you have to understand that you're no import, more important than anyone else in this place because no one's bigger than the church. So it's empowering and it's humbling. It's empowering and it's humbling because every believer 
has been given a unique set of gifts from God for the purposes of being an extension of the ministry of Jesus. That's how you do greater things. That's how we do greater things as a church. That's how, how we, and the greater things we, do, we don't, it's not just about us serving here, but it's all the stories that we've heard. A team that's in Madagascar. A team, 80-something people that have been through the heart of Glebe and are beginning to transform a community down there. You know, it's, it's the wonderful example I think of at the beginning of the year talking to a young adult couple who I think it was off the back of a spiritual gift sermon said, you know what, we need to step up, we need to serve God and we need to use our gifts. And little did they know that there would be someone else that I've been praying for for a year and a half that's been wandering in and out of this church. They sent me a photo this week of that person sitting in their connection group that they decided to lead with hardly any people and no people to lead at the time. And God has ordained all of these different things to happen. And so he could use their gifts and their talents and their ability at that time to minister to this guy who's been floating around the church for years. That's, that's the mosaic. So that's the affirmation. The quick clarification is this. <laughs> Don't confuse spiritual gifts with spiritual fruit. It's a great opportunity for me to talk through stuff that I didn't get to say in the, in the previous times we preached on spiritual gifts, but this is a cracker for me. This resonates with me firsthand. Don't confuse spiritual gifts with spiritual fruit. We talked about spiritual fruit last week. You see, the big problem is people don't recognize the relationship between gifts and fruit. You see, all of us are supposed to have all of the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. But... <laughs> Here's how it works. Spiritual gifts is what you do, whereas spiritual fruits is what you are. Spiritual gifts is what you do. Spiritual fruit is what you are. And so spiritual gifts are abilities. There's a couple of them around that you might have, but spiritual fruit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, self-control. And you're supposed to have all of them at the one time. In fact, I should be saying spiritual fruit. It's singular. And here's the thing, you can get fooled, you can get bamboozled, you can get hoodwinked. You can get hoodwinked by your gifts. Because the more you're in church, the more you're in danger of this happening. That, that, that you look at your gifts as if they were fruit, and you see your gifts as if evidence of God working in your life and great and wonderful stuff's happening around you. Guys, you only ask to, uh, have to ask some of my friends or my family, ask my teammates. That there, there have been times in my ministry... When the spiritual giftedness has, has been off the Richter scale, and great stuff's happening here, but my spiritual fruit was non-existent. And I, and I, was, I was toxic, and I was angry instead of peaceful. And there, was, there wasn't joy in my life. And it's been seasons while I've been here, and I, I've had to wrestle with that firsthand. I go, you can confuse the two, and people can praise you for your giftedness. And I don't really see the... See the real work that is going on. And that's what each and every one of us has a responsibility to wrestle with. Because gifts without fruit is like a tire without air. You know, like gifts, you could, you could just pump the gifts hard enough. But the minute you get to a stop sign, the whole thing's going to fall flat. The minute you stop pushing it and driving it. And how many times have you heard stories of ministers that have gone crazy and baptizing people and hundreds of people. And then six years down the track, they're in the middle of adultery. Or they've hurt people in the church with their manipulation. You know, don't confuse your gifts with fruit. And this is why it's so important 
Because, of course, you could look at something that you're doing and say, yes, I'm doing great stuff, but it's a gift. And meanwhile, your prayer life and your relationships are toxic. And I've had to wrestle with it myself. You know, it's, here's why it's important for us as a church. Spiritual gifts are just a means to an end. They're not an end in, in and of themselves. Spiritual gifts are a means to an end. And the end is, if we went back to modern family, a new humanity of love and, and relationship with people that would ordinarily have nothing to do with each other, that somehow come together in this crazy thing called church and form a new humanity that shows the world how life and love is meant to be lived in a way that's so distinct and different from the rest of the world that, be, that it becomes attractive. And people want part of it. And we're supposed to be this counterculture of grace, as John Stott says. But that's the end. The new humanity. A place that resounds with love and joy and peace and patience. That's what ministry is about. Not how well you lead. Not how well you sing. Not how well you preach. Although we love being excellent here. But don't confuse your spiritual gifts with spiritual fruit. Know where the priorities lay. They're just the means to the end. They're the tools to what God is doing in this place. So affirmation, clarification, they were the two things I just wanted to get tonight. And so as we bring this whole series to a close, uh, I, I want us to get a real sense of what this series was about. This series was not about trying to calm down the charismatics or wind up the conservatives. <laughs> it was saying, if, if the other guy... Is just an extension of the ministry of Jesus himself. And if the other guy works through you and I, and if the other guy is the very lifeblood of God living and breathing in us, and if the other guy, by giving us unique uh, gifts and talents and abilities, is creating this humanity around us that will continue on the ministry of Jesus in the world around us, then the question is, if that's what the other guy is here for, how well do you know him? We're always talking about Jesus and sometimes we forget about the Holy Spirit. I guess I'll finish with this. Is, is anyone, who's, the, who's the most famous person that anyone's met here? Has anyone ever met anyone famous other than Michael McQueen? <laughs> I, I, was, I was struggling. I think the best I've, the best I've come up with is uh, Barry Humphreys. Because for my 12th birthday, my dad took me to see Dame Edna Everidge. So, uh, of course, at the State Theatre, that's what every 12-year-old wants for his birthday. <laughs> and uh, we sat through the concert, and there's something special. We're hanging outside the uh, backstage door of uh, the State Theatre on George Street there, and we realised that it, it was the backstage door from the loading dock downstairs into the green room because this big, bulky security guard was standing outside the door. And so Dad pulls the whole you know, swindle, swindles a deal, probably pays the guy off 100 bucks or something, I don't know, but you know, he's, it's my son's birthday. Do you think he could just get down and see Mr Humphreys? Could he just say hello and the security guard comes down and comes back? Uh, lo and behold, I get to go down into the green room to see Barry Humphreys. <laughs> and the funniest thing was that when I heard him talk, it was bizarre because it was like half Dame Edna and half Barry Humphreys. <laughs> and I think, am I talking to Dame Edna or am I talking to Barry Humphreys? <laughs> I think Jesus in the Holy Spirit work the same way <laughs> hello possums <laughs> no, it was, 
Here's where I'm getting at, because I know the analogy is slightly weak, but here's what I'm getting at. <laughs> slightly. Like, over the years, Dame Edna had become Barry, and Barry had become Dame Edna. And so in many ways, they were two distinct persons, but they were one. And that Barry's work was Dame Edna's work, or was Dame Edna's work Barry's work. You get what I'm saying? That, that there were two persons, but I had actually forgotten about the person behind the person. And I'd always known Dame Edna, and to see this guy with his wig off and the lipstick still on quite freaked me out as a 12-year-old. <laughs> but I realised there, there was a person behind the character. There was a person behind the wonder and the magic that I'd experienced for two years. And so, as I said, I'm not here to calm down the charismatics or wind up the conservatives, but I'm here to help paint us over two, two weeks to say that there were two distinct persons at work. One was Jesus and one was the Holy Spirit. And they're distinct, but they're somehow one. Now, let me get back to the story briefly. I got down there and, and Barry said, what's your name? And he's half Australian, half British accent. And, oh, my name's Sam. And I'm absolutely petrified because he's just been ripping shreds off people for two hours straight sitting there. And I thought he was just going to start tearing into me. And I, I said that I was down there for my birthday. And that was the extent of the whole conversation. So the first famous person I met, uh, I just told him that it was my 12th birthday. And he said, well, Sam, very nice to meet you. And... Off you go. And it was, to be honest, for the only person I've ever met, it sucked. <laughs> it was, it was, it was in, in fact, it was just, it was awkward. It was awkward because I, I thought I knew Dame Edna as well as a 12-year-old can know Dame Edna. Um, but I had no idea who Barry Humphreys was. I didn't know what he ate. I didn't know what his favourite food was. I didn't know even if he lived in Australia. I, I didn't even know what he liked to do, what his, uh, what his hobbies were. And, and so as a result, the most famous person that I've ever met in my life was the most um, underwhelming experience I've ever had. Because I knew of the person, Barry Humphreys, but I didn't know the person, Barry Humphreys. And what else I want to get us through this series tonight, as, as, as weak as the analogy is, is this, that... That the, I always say there's a difference between knowing of God and knowing God. There's a difference between watching God in the person of Jesus and going backstage. And if anything out of this series, my hope is that as you open up and you learn more about who the Holy Spirit is, that church, that the Christian life just doesn't become awkward like it was for me and Barry. That you come to know and interact with the Holy Spirit in a way that you may never have interacted with him before. There's no mystery. There's no weirdness. There's no wonder about it. It's just, I just want it to be not awkward for us. And so I, here's, I guess, what i got to ask. Are you more open to more of the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you have the other guy in your life? It was saying Christianity's not principles, it's a power. You can't be a Christian. As Paul said, you can't call Jesus Christ Lord unless you've got the other guy. The way to accept Jesus Christ is, the way to, is, is to ask the other guy into your life to come and lead you and to guide you. They're one and the same. But the Holy Spirit is a person that changes you and leads you and fills you up and betters you and, as we learn tonight, equips you to extend the ministry of Jesus Christ into your world. So do you, do you know him? Is it? Is it? Is it awkward? Is it awkward? <laughs> hey, we are, we're coming now to uh, a time of ministry. I'm going to pray for us. And 
really what I want out of this time, maybe perhaps after we're doing six weeks of all of this, is that you would really take this time to be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. That that he's here and he's at work and he's amongst us right now and he wants to minister to you now in that moment. And so for some of you, it it might be getting over some of that awkwardness. For some of you, it, it might be just more of that clarity of his voice and his leading in your life. But let's just see what he's going to do during this time of ministry and anointing. Let me pray for us.